as the great reversal, that turn of looking out here for the answer to finding it here at home all along. Awake already, but we didn't know. Here already, but we didn't know. Becoming disenchanted with all our ideas about ourselves. And the Buddha himself was, grew up surrounded by all the things that could possibly be given him to him to enchant externally, all the possible external pleasures. And he became disenchanted with that and left the palace and kept trying to find it in other places. And there was the heavenly messengers that pointed the way, old age, sickness, death, everything is changing. There isn't anything that he could hold on to that was all going to happen for him. And so he saw that this enchantment was the part of the path to freedom and the only way. We all get enchanted with things. Some of us get addicted to things and it's helpful to see what drives us. What am I enchanted by and driven? the ways we want certain things and don't want others. And sometimes on retreat we discovered unexpected things. We don't even realize what we're dependent on. I was traveling with some people who normally don't seem to have a a lot of needs and they were enchanted with finding good coffee. (laughs) Maybe some of you can relate to that. (laughs) But so many little things that we don't realize we're caught by. The realm of the senses can be such an enchantment. One long retreat I was on, um, I hadn't realized the depth of this particular enchantment to food. I was quite concentrated, sitting there, and all of a sudden I'm having all these images. Plates of broccoli are moving by, plates of (laughs) kale with sesame on, and this went on for ages. And I hadn't been aware of how enchanted my mind was with food. And it was very humbling, (laughs) you know, just to see. And also we can, the ways we want to be seen, how we act, we get enchanted by that. And how we think we are, we get enchanted by. If if we're doing well, it's fine. If we're not, it's painful. We're enchanted by having to get it right, for example. We're only okay if we're doing well, if we're approved of. And that's painful. And it can be a relief when we discover that this moment is good enough and that habit of getting it right is released. It's okay to fail, to make a mistake, whatever it is. When people have a change in their lives, when they stop working for any reason, for retirement or for illness or um, whatever it is, we start to see how our identity is, we're enchanted with a certain identity. When children leave home, we realize how enchanted we were with the identity of being a parent. Um, We were enchanted by that identity and now it's gone. 
and it can be painful. We don't realize how we were holding on to it. And we've all had the experience of one of our enchantments fading away. The spell is broken, just naturally. Maybe we were enchanted by a, a person, and that person was wonderful. Maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was um, a lover. And then all of a sudden, the spell is broken. And we think, whoa, what was that? I was so obsessed, and now it's gone. It faded. I didn't really need that. We were under their spell, and then it got broken. We don't need their approval, or whatever it is. Maybe we were expecting to find the perfect job or the perfect partner, and then all of a sudden we become disenchanted that that's going to happen. We realize that was just a societal myth. Hafiz, some of you may have read this story, has a lovely story about um, someone asks him um, why he isn't married, and he says, he was, looking for the, he was looking for the perfect wife, and he found this person who was beautiful and attractive, but they had nothing in common. And then he found someone who had everything in common and um, was beautiful, but um, they fought all the time. And then finally he found this person who he thought had everything in common, and she was beautiful and easy to get along with. And so the man said, well, what happened? She was looking for the right man. (laughs) (laughs) And so so the enchantment gets broken. We gradually see if it's not one thing, it's going to be another. And it doesn't mean a cynical, disillusionment. You know, why bother? Because that's a version. It's more the spell is broken. I don't need to do this anymore. And it's a relief. So the, the feeling that comes along with disenchantment is of relief, not of aversion or um, giving up. And it's such a it's so wonderful when identity with a certain way of being we become disenchanted with. We see, I don't need to do that anymore. Because there's more possibility. We can be open. We don't feel so limited and constricted. When we really get the enchantment and see that, and when we see the clinging of it and we feel it, and that that actually arises and passes. That particular identity arises and passes. And we also see that the clinging to it arises and passes. We see ourselves taking the identity. Like First of all, it arises. We see how seduced we are by it. I want to be approved of. I want to get it right. I've been seduced again. And then we see the clinging. And we see that the clinging itself arises and passes. Sometimes there's this releasing into awareness, and some of us have experienced that. And we see, oh, what else am I aware of? Oh, there's space here. What a relief not to have to be anything, and not to need approval. It's such a relief. Then we become enchanted with awareness. 
with that particular state in that moment. And then, then we have to get, we have to release that enchantment. We get enchanted with concentration and states of concentration. This is from the teachings of the Dhammapada. How very happily we live, we who have nothing. We will feed on rapture like radiant devas. And that's fine as long as that state lasts. But if we become dependent on it, then that's also suffering. But all we need to do is notice the attachment. Notice that we've become enchanted. We've become enchanted with whatever it is. And if we can notice the enchantment with kindness, then just that noticing with kindness brings a softness that the spell can be broken. Oh, this too is a state and it's subject to change. It's okay. I can be with it while it's here, enjoy it, and it's okay when it leaves. It can change. We become disenchanted with it having to last. However, the power of attachment to all sorts of phenomena, whether it's in feelings and thoughts and body, whatever, is really strong. It's wired into our brain chemistry to get enchanted somehow. So it's not just about becoming disenchanted with the object itself. It's becoming disenchanted with grasping and clinging, with that movement towards, with that energy of compulsion. That's the sort of useful piece to see. It's not so much the objects. It's that movement, that energy of holding on that we're becoming disenchanted with. Grasping. What am I, what's grasping like? that movement in the wanting mind that can be so addictive. People can know that something's harmful for them and not be able to release the clinging. And it's also helpful to see that, um, to have compassion for the fact that um, for some of us, when we get into a particularly addictive cycle, um, it's neurologically not easy to shift that. And it takes a lot of patience to retrain the mind out of that pattern, especially for some of us, because the reward of grabbing is so immediate that it's hard to see that the reward of not doing it would be beneficial because it comes so quickly, the reward of giving in chemically. But we can learn to release, to let go, when things are very compelling. And as we become disenchanted, we're less limited. We don't have to have certain things, and our lives are freer. We don't have to be a certain way, and our lives are more full. We can enjoy more, relax more, and um, be less anxious. We're less limited by fears and having to control things so much. We don't need a certain outcome in order to be okay. And so there's a lot of freedom as this gradually releases. But it's one thing 
to see clearly um, and have the spell broken. It's one thing for that to happen, to wake up from the dream. And it's another thing to be able to give up the habits because the mind doesn't want to. And you, many of us have had an insight on retreat into a particular habit pattern. We've become disenchanted. We've woken up from the spell. But then we leave the retreat and there we go again. <laughs> How come I'm doing this again? How come I gave in again? And that's because we need this next quality, varaga, the gradual weakening of the, the, those paths and habit patterns, the thinning out of those or the fading away. And it's a gradual process of letting go, of releasing. So the word viraga, raga means lust or passion. That's one translation. And so viraga is dispassion. And passion, however, in, in our context, in, in our um, social environment, passion can also be positive. It can mean enthusiasm and zeal for things, interest in things. And it can be healthy. We can have a healthy passion for the practice or for art or music or life or whatever it is that we're doing. And so it's helpful to translate it in a slightly different way. And raga also can mean color. And so we can think of it, viraga, as the fading away of certain coloring. So it's as though we're looking through colored glasses and we're looking through black, gloomy glasses <laughs> and then it's the fading away of certain negative patterns. Or maybe it's our red glasses or green or pink, whatever it is that we've been colored by. That coloring is gradually fading, the fading away of those habit patterns and it's a slow process as the rewiring takes place. The pathways get weaker and weaker. One analogy is of water, sand, stone. Some pathways are like drawing a line in water. It, that line disappears as soon as you've drawn it. Others are like drawing a line in sand and gradually that's covered up. The, that pathway is worn away. Some of them are like etching in stone. And some of them are like the Grand Canyon. <laughs> you know, they seem a lifetime of depth, generationally deep. Gill has a nice analogy that I really like of thinning of a rope, that the habit patterns are like a very thick, strong rope, and that gradually through our practice, that rope gets weakened and thinner and thinner and it thins out until it's very fine. And that's what our practice is doing. By paying attention to how all the things are changing, feelings and thoughts and sensation, to things arising and passing, we get to not hold on so tightly and the rope gets to thin out. Or the, the grooves get to be worn away. And it takes time. And we tend to be impatient. We want the insight that we've had to take effect now, 
or tomorrow or after the retreat. And impatience is another habit pattern that's getting thinned out. And if you look back on your practice, we do see that certain patterns are faded. Certain ways that we've been that have been difficult. Maybe we're less judgmental or whatever it is, or more patient. There are changes. And the first step was seeing the pattern clearly and then gradually how it came about, how it got triggered. And then gradually it became, a, became thinner. And, we, and gradually the need for certain identities fades. Um, for example, as we gradually begin to accept aging. We gradually accept the need for not having any wrinkles gradually fades. <laughs> or the need for our bodies not to age <laughs> gradually fades. Um, this is how the body is now. There's, there's less clinging to it being a certain way. There's more allowing. And when we experience how certain identities have been restricting and limiting, gradually the need for them fades away. We experience that. We're less enchanted with having to have a useful body or a useful mind. It's okay that forgetting is happening, <laughs> whatever it is. I was, um, I was Googling the word viraga because I was curious, you know, to, to sort of look at some more things about it. And I kept getting Viagra. <laughs> it kept saying, do you mean Viagra? <laughs> Until I put in the word Pali and then it would do it. But over and over again it wanted that. And I thought, gee, you know, it's really a denial of fading away. <laughs> it's very funny. So, as the identities start to fade away, the sense of presence becomes full. And we don't feel so separate from life. It's really a relief. So it's helpful for us when we're on retreat and in our lives to explore which patterns still feel thick, which grooves are deep for me. Not to judge or feel ashamed or blame ourselves that this is how it is. That's really important because the shame or the blame or the judgment of it is just more patterns. And then we can see, oh, there's another pattern. We're not expecting ourselves to not be reactive. I used to think that as my practice, I would come to a point where I wasn't reactive anymore. And then I was reactive to my reactivity. <laughs> and gradually, the reactivity starts to fade. And really, it's just to be able to see how do I get caught? Where are those patterns? Where are those ropes thick? And then we can notice with gratitude when we see some place where it's less reactive and we're more patient with the time it takes. And also with that sometimes our capacities are different. I think Gil mentioned early on in the retreat how when we're tired or overwhelmed or upset in some way or sick or afraid, it's easy to get triggered and the patterns flare up. The nervous system's more sensitive. And so to have compassion for that. Some of them are very old. Some of those patterns are almost intergenerational. Sometimes 
anxiety is intergenerational or a certain way of freezing and isolating. We, like, it's like we absorb them from our environment and some of them are genetic. So to really not expect that some of them will not be there. It can be a very deep groove. And sometimes you can suddenly be aware that, oh, most of the time for me, awareness is always tinged with one of these particular qualities. And it's only when the retreat really settles that there might be a moment when you see, oh, it's possible to be free from that. But wow, a lot of my life, that's what's always there, is this underlying particular quality. Um, whether it's doubt or fear or aversion, something or wanting is my default. Um, and that it's a process. I, um, I thought it might be useful just to share um, my own process with a particular pattern over time as it gradually faded or is in the process of fading. It's not a complete done deal. But anxiety was a default for me and has been my whole life, this sort of hyper underlying hypervigilance, family, 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 and so forth, back. And um, I was always having to be with this and watch it and explore it and see it arise and pass. Um, and so I'll just give a couple of places from different retreats. One in retreat, I was very calm and concentrated, but was aware of tension in my body. And I tend to have visual symbols. And I saw this enormous pyramid. I thought, what's that? You know, and it was being built by these little people, this enormous pyramid was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was watching this, what is this? And then all of a sudden, I got it. Wow, this is a pyramid to my anxiety. And it's getting built all the time. And as soon as I saw that, it collapsed. And I saw, wow, I have been contributing to this. And every moment I'm anxious, I'm continuing to build this pyramid. Wow, I don't have to do this. This is amazing. And so for several sits, everything was calm. There was no underlying anxiety. It was gone. I thought, wow, amazing. And then about two or three days later, I started feeling some sort of uncomfortable energy. And I was aware that or sort of in the wings to the right with these little people about to pull this pyramid onto the stage. <laughs> it's not gone. The roots of it are not gone. So that was, you know, but it did, for, for quite a while, I was really able to see how I was doing it. I couldn't stop it arising, but I could see how I was adding to it. And then at some point, a number of years later, another retreat, um, I saw again this feeling of anxiety and an underlying feeling of something is wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. And I saw it was almost like there was this, this little creature, something's wrong, something wrong, over and over. I'm wrong, something wrong with me. And it's just this repetitive belief cycle over and over. And then I could see the mind states coming, oh, I should fix this. I need to do something about this. And then where is it coming from? What does it mean? 
and I just let those go, let those go. And then I came to a place where it was just calm and I wasn't being disturbed by it. So it was still there, this little entity, but I was calm with it being there. So that was the next phase in the thinning of it. And then a year, a year or whatever after that, um, there was this same sense, something else had triggered it, I don't remember what, of that something's wrong over and over. Something's wrong. And it, it, you know, it was just like, it, it was like a little creature that wasn't aware of anything else except this repetitive, something's wrong, I'm wrong. And then it was like, suddenly something in me said, stop, stop, it's not wrong anymore. So nothing is wrong. Turn and look. So there was a sense of turning and looking, of stopping, turning and looking, turning towards awareness. And there's what, what am I aware of now? And then it's, oh, nothing is wrong. And there's just this sense of love, clarity, beauty. This is what's here. Be, you know, this is what's actually here in awareness. And it's such a relief to have that pattern for a few moments completely fade away and reveal what was actually there. That I couldn't see, I was limited by underneath that belief. That in any situation was sitting there waiting to be triggered. And so it's so helpful to see how those patterns get activated in our lives. And it's really gradually thinning out the roots of them that can bring us freedom, so we don't have to be controlled by them. And there are so many varieties of different patterns for each of us, but through our practice, it's possible. So, more and more, we start to sense that it's not personal. Things are arising due to conditions from our past, from the present, from all over the place. And when we don't take it personally, there's less grab. If I'm not an anxious person, but just anxiety is arising, then it's workable. Or whatever the emotion is, anger or fear or whatever. And gradually that can start to thin. Our reactivity to it can start to thin. When a sense of self gets destabilized, it's scary. And the ego does hold on tighter. We start to, oh, well, what am I if I'm not all these things? And it's helpful to really hold that in compassion. It's okay to have fear arising. It's okay. The poor ego, it's okay. It's not its fault. <laughs> you know, it's okay not to make it bad or wrong, but just to allow it to thin out. And to, that helps the grasping and stuff soften when we can welcome what's there. And it's not um, so caught. And when, when we're not grasping and, and holding on so tight, 
the actual things that we're afraid of or caught with start to fade. It's almost as though the grasping and clinging are what's keeping them going. Whether it's whatever it is, the fact that we're holding on to it is keeping it there. So here's the fear coming along, or the anger, or the hurt, or whatever it is, or the story, and the grasping to it is keeping it present. But if we see that it arises and passes, then the clinging also arises and passes. So there's a moment of, gra- of, of rage, a moment of clinging, and it just keeps disappearing. A moment of identifying, and it disappears. And so the whole thing starts to fall apart. And it's as though the identification and the craving are builders of self, builders of the world. Those are the words in the Buddha has. Builders of the self, builders of the world. Compassion, metta, mindfulness build less self and less world. They help us release them so we can sense that freedom. So it truly is not about getting rid of a self. It's more about letting it gradually thin out. We can f- sometimes we can feel the contraction with self-referencing. And when we feel the contraction, when we release a little bit, it thins out. And what happens when it thins out is it's not obscuring anymore. We can see clearly. It becomes transparent. And then it can arise without obscuring, without making us grasp or cling. So it's, it's, then, there's a f- then we have this flexible view. We can have a certain identity when it's useful to have that identity. Because we, we need to. We need to um, be certain ways in the world at certain times. But we can... Be a fle- we can be flexible when it's useful, and when it starts to become not useful and limiting, we begin to know how to let it release and fade away. So it's so much more flexible. It's not obscuring and preventing us f- and keeping us separate from all that we can be. There's this expansion. One of the ways I've found that's helpful when I'm starting to get caught and I can feel that self-referencing is who's experiencing this? And then there's something about saying that that makes me sort of sense who it is I've become, what self I've become that's experiencing this. You could, who's experiencing this? Oh, this one. Oh, I just became blah, blah, blah. Which Adrian am I becoming? You know, the one that has to get it right or the one who's whatever. It's helpful. And not taking things so personally is calming. It's less stressful when we can do that. And when when the felt sense is soft, spacious, and and a relief, we know that it's a direct experience of releasing or of not identifying rather than an intellectual understanding. Um, And sometimes we can know I should let go and I know how to let go, but it ain't happening. (laughs) 
we've had the insight. We know the insight in intellectually, but we're not directly experiencing the insight. And you can feel the difference because there's a softness, a lightness, a release. And it's not that that's wrong, it's just to know that that's what's happening. But each time we do experience that felt sense, it's almost like we're interrupting the old conditioning and building a new pathway. And it's like we're having, building confidence and capacity. And whenever we notice we've lost it and we're holding on again, nothing wrong, fresh start. Oh, just a moment of holding on. Just a moment of knowing reactivity is happening. I once had this sense of, I knew I was holding on, and I saw this hand floating by, (laughs) holding on. Oh, holding on is happening. And there goes the hand, exit stage left. (laughs) You could laugh at it, it's okay. And then it becomes less heavy that holding on is happening. It'll be here for as long as it is, and then something else will happen. We're aware of the reactivity, but what we see is that the awareness itself isn't reactive. And we begin to know that experience for ourselves more and more. Even if it's just for a second, we know that it's possible. And then things have less grab. And we start to be able to feel, experience this stickiness increasing and this stickiness decreasing. And that's helpful. And actually we can practice that way. We can directly experience the contrast between wanting and not wanting, between grasping and not grasping. And the moments of, it's really helpful to really be there for the moments when we're not grasping and needing anything. Because just like we miss moments of pleasant, we miss moments of calm, we can miss moments when a reactivity has faded when we've become disenchanted and it's faded, we can miss those little moments. So be there for them. Um, Maybe we've had one and there it is, and then all of a sudden we become the one who had that experience. There we are grasping again. Oh, this is what identification and grasping are like. Not with judgment, with humor. Then we start to really be able to play. We can be awake and aware with craving, and awaken aware with a moment of release. Either, both are useful. We can go back and forth. No judgment, just to know that um, we have that capacity. And the more we can feel the difference between the two. See, it's like I think Gil was saying before, you have to really get to know clinging, get to know what suffering is like, in order to notice the differences between them. To know when it's there, know when it's not. So the other thing is that um, we're not, it's not that um, this being unreactive and letting these habits, patterns fade away and being dispassionate, it isn't that that's about being indifferent or withdrawing from the world, because it could sound like that, like it's just like this. It's more that um, 
we can respond and engage in the world from a really equanimous place, a calm place, and a clear seeing place. So, um, Kitasaro um, says, the mindful self balances the art of release and the imperative to engage. Because we want to be engaged in our lives. So we're balancing both those two. And that's, um, that's what freedom is about, being able to see clearly how we want to relieve suffering for ourselves and others, and how to do it in a way that's not creating more suffering for ourselves and others, in a way that's free. So, in conclusion, the more we really understand the coming and going of things, we experience that everything changes, and that holding on is suffering, and that it's not about me. Nothing actually gives lasting satisfaction, and there's not a solid, permanent self here. The moment we start to understand, even for small moments, that the spell is broken, we're disenchanted with all the ways of seeking that we've had, the enchantment's lifted, the mind begins slowly to release the things and the habit patterns it was enchanted by. We become dispassionate. The mind isn't colored anymore as the, in the same way that it was, with our old beliefs and assumptions, or by the allure of certain creations, ideas, and beliefs. And gradually, there's this craving starts to cease. And we become, as it says in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Mindfulness Sutta, free from desire and discontent for the world. And we begin to be able to, again as it says in the Sutta, abide, independent, not clinging to anything in the world. And so Gil will be continuing that process tomorrow. But for now, as you sit for a moment, just have a sense of what it might be like to release, to rest, free from desire and discontent. Not from the desire to be free from the healthy desires, but free from that grasping, that needing, and discontent. And to be able to abide, rest, independent of external things, independent of internally needing to be or become anything. not clinging to anything in the world. Just being open, alive, aware. Just as you are right now.
So as I ring the bell now, just think of whatever spells you're enchanted with are being broken by the ring of the bell. 